We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. What if human beings aren't just thinking things? What if we're less driven by what we believe and more pulled towards what we long for? Maybe human beings are fundamentally lovers, that we are made to love God, to desire God, to hunger for what God desires for his world. And I think that changes the way we think about discipleship because we'll have to start thinking about the power of habit. The things that we do are also doing something to us. Good to see you all this morning, and thank you, Cindy, for leading us in prayer to kind of center us this morning as we wrap up this series, You Are What You Love. If I haven't met, met you before, my name is Colin. I'm one of the pastors here at Branches, and we're just so glad that you decided to join us this morning. There's so many options here in Houston, and we're grateful for that, and so it just like fills me with joy that you chose to come here today to be with one another and to be in worship, especially as we wrap up this series that uh, has done a lot for me in my own reading, kind of spiritual life and discipline, and also I've had a lot of really fruitful conversations with many of you about it as well. I want to give you the opportunity uh, as we begin today to check in. Let us know you're here. And I just want to say on the front end, this is the first uh, Sunday where we have a little bit of a different check-in. So if you've been checking in for a while, go ahead and scan the the QR again today uh, and you'll see it a little bit differently. The hope is that then next week when you scan it again, it'll remember you and be like, hey, I know you. And then you won't have to put in your information the same way every week. And so if we can make it easier and if it doesn't work for you, let me know after the service and we'll get it all worked out. But we have a new check-in system and just want to give you that opportunity to let us know that you're here. We can check in with you, let you know what's going on in the life of our community, especially as we get into September and we celebrate our first birthday. There's a lot going on. We're just really, really excited about it and just want to invite you to that and invite you to invite others to take part in that. One of the things we're excited about leading up to our birthday is a two-week series we're going to do called Apprentice. And that series is is two weeks to talk about um, this word in the Bible, disciple, is a Greek word, mathetes. And you've probably heard me mention it before if you've been here for a while. Uh, And the word mathetes, if we were to literally translate it, in fact, some other Greek works translate it as apprentice or pupil. And if we see our spiritual life of following Jesus is about being an apprentice, like a a plumber or a craftsman or a tattoo artist, we see our way of being with Jesus a little bit differently. We wanna imitate him, we wanna spend some time around him, we wanna see what it means to follow him and be in close proximity to him so then we can be just like him. So I'm preaching the first week and then Amy Summerall, one of our other pastors, she's preaching as well and I'm excited about that kind of conversation of those two weeks to talk about what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. So I wanna give you a heads up on that to invite you to be part of that series and invite others to kind of experience what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. But today, we're wrapping up our series, You Are What You Love. And really, the the center point of this series has been that, as you heard James Smith say on the bumper video, uh, the things we do are doing something to us. That the habits we partake in, the things that we do day in, day out, the little things, the big things, the things we choose to do intentionally and those things we did choose to do, now we just do second nature, are shaping us into the people we will become good or bad, fruitful or unfruitful, deep or shallow. And for people that follow Jesus, we wanna intentionally form our habits, our, our lives, the furniture of our hearts around Jesus. 
And I, I wanna encourage you, if you haven't read the book, we still have copies in the lobby, and that's not to sell books, that's because I so believe in the centerpiece of James Smith's thinking and philosophy there that it could really change your spiritual life, and just wanna encourage you to read that. One thing I've been thinking about this week to kind of conclude us, to make us maybe not come to the end of this journey, but to come to the end of maybe the foundation of the journey to kind of lead us forward from now on, is thinking about maps. That over the course of this series, I've been thinking about how, you know, how do we give someone a signpost or the, the next step on the spiritual journey, on this journey of discipleship and discipline? How do we tell people where to go? And not just how do we tell other people how to go as a community, but how do we know where we should go? How do we know which turn we should make or you know, how fast we should go or where we should stop and, and take it all in? What map are we using? And we'll get to this in a little bit, but the good news is we have 2,000 years of rich Christian history of people who have done this before. And done this before in the sense that they failed before, they messed up before, and they're kind of figuring their way out along the way over 2,000 years. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, we can look back and see. And as I've been thinking about maps this week, I've been thinking about my coworker at one of my last churches, Jim. I mentioned him before, and one of Jim's best qualities, and he has many, <laughs> uh, one of his best qualities is he loved to talk about the roads in Houston. When I moved here, a, a lot of people do that, but Jim is like the king. I would tell him about what I did over the weekend, and I'd be like, oh, Landon and I went to this concert, and he wouldn't ask how the concert was, he'd say, how did you get there? <laughs> What rows did you take? And then I'd tell him and he'd be like, oh, you don't wanna go that way. Next time, go this way, you know? And one time I picked him up from a car dealership where his car was being repaired uh, and he didn't like the way I went either. And it, I would say, Jim, this isn't me, this is Google Maps. Like, I'm new here. <laughs> I, I didn't choose this route, the, the phone did. But he, he loved to talk about the roads. And I, I'm sure if you asked Jim, you know, kind of uh, uh, to draw a map of Houston, like the one we have out in the lobby, he could probably do a really good, precise job. He knows this place like the back of his hand, like second nature. I grew up in a really small town in Arkansas, and I haven't been there in a while, but I know that if I went there and I got off on the exit on I-40 for Russellville, I could find my house, I could find my high school, I could find the places I used to hang out, I could find my friends' houses, though none of them still live there. I could find my home church, I could find the Baptist church down the street, I could find the grocery store, I could find Kroger, and then also I could see like, oh, that wasn't there when I was here before, or that's new, and I could ask my mom about it, and I could maybe find a new place, and I, the only way I could get lost if I was in a totally different place than I'd ever been to before. But for most of us, and maybe if you're from Houston or if you're from a small town or from somewhere else, you could go to that place and you could find yourself around just second nature. When I lived in Atlanta, I mean, like similar to Houston, it was kind of overwhelming to find your way around and people would be like, oh, it's on Peachtree. I'm like, every other street is named Peachtree. Uh, so I can't find my way around. But if you live there long enough, you can find your way around. It comes to you second nature. And if you drive to work every morning, you have your commute, or you drop your kids off at school, or you have the same Sunday routine, and you go to church, and then you go to um, the grocery store afterward, or you go out to lunch to the same place, they, the kind of common metaphor people use is it's a sort of hypnotism. That you kind of get in your car at home, and then before you know it, you're at your destination, and you kind of don't remember the drive. It's so second nature. I'm sure if I asked all of you to kind of describe your drive here this morning, you know exactly every turn you took and every place that you went. But if something went wrong, like the other day I was going down Bissonette and there was a train stopped on the tracks, so I was like, I guess I'm not going home now, you know? 
I don't know how to get around. I don't know how I'd get around it. And maybe I could ask one of you for help because you know this place second nature and you know where to go and you know how to get there quickly and you know the best ways and the place with the least amount of potholes. And I'm learning that too, how to get here and how to get to work and get to Landon's work. And you know, that's why like, I feel comfortable. Like, I can like, scroll TikTok while I drive. I'm just, just kidding, it was a joke. It didn't land as well as I thought it would. Uh, just at stoplights. Um, not really, don't. If there's any like, young people, especially if you're gonna get your license soon, don't listen to me. <laughs> but it becomes so second nature that we can just do it. And you could make a map. And I, I say all this to say that I think the discipleship journey, the journey of following Jesus, is like having a map. It's like charting a course and you're gonna miss some exits and take wrong turns and you're gonna have to rely on other people and maybe rely on some resources that aren't you and you're gonna have to look down from time to time and remind yourself where you, where you are and center yourself. And the goal is, I say the, the goal of the discipleship life, the life of following Jesus, is to find your way second nature. And not only that, but then the goal is also then to tell other people the way to go. Not that you're an expert, do we lose me there? There I am. Not out of your own power, but out of your own neediness and your own mistakes and your own failures to say, don't go that way, I've been that way, and it's no fun. Well, you could go that way, I just wanna let you know ahead of time that it's, you're gonna get stuck in traffic. I just wanna let you know that if you take this turn, there's a lot of potholes, but that's the quickest way to get there. That you might even lead someone down a place that seems like it's not the right way to go, but because you've been there, you can share it. Paul in 2 Corinthians, we're reading from today, he's giving the church in Corinth a map, I'd say, for their discipleship in a really sticky situation. So I wanna read this, this passage from uh, 2 Corinthians as a letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote to this kind of struggling community. And he says this, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way giving some directions. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, but not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you read in Acts 18, you flip back just a little bit in the New Testament, you hear the story of Paul, this new Christian, planting this church in Corinth, creating this new Christian community. And uh, we can learn then from First and Second Corinthians that it didn't go well really at the outset. And that once Paul left, things went off course. And people started to follow other people that were like Paul, but maybe better speakers and weren't craftsmen and weren't kind of like a low state. And, and Paul, hearing this, he gets a bad report about them from a distance, sends the letter 1 Corinthians. So if you read 1 Corinthians, it's like a get in shape letter. Like, don't make me come back there letter. And he sends them that. 
And after he sends them that letter, uh, they reject it, apparently. We can get that from context in 2 Corinthians. Because then in 2, 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about this painful visit that he then came to follow up his correctional letter in 1 Corinthians, and he had a painful visit. So he did, you know, don't make me come back there. He did come back there, and they apologized, many of them, not all of them. They kind of groveled to Paul. And then 2 Corinthians, where we read from today, is his follow-up after that apology. And say, okay, I know these things have happened. I know you've gone off course. I know I had to come visit you and maybe get things back into shape. And this is my follow-up letter to you to like see how things are going and also to give you some encouraging instruction going forward. This is my follow-up. And he begins this passage that we read today, verse 16, from now on, that, that given all that I've just said, from now on, this is the way you're gonna conduct yourself. Now that you've gone off course a little bit and you've learned some things and you've maybe followed a, a different way from now on, go this way. Now that you've learned something through hard knocks, take this turn. From now on, be this way. And he offers, I'd say, kind of four directions, general directions for navigating this new life that they now share together. First, have this different point of view. Don't view Christ and don't view one another and don't view your neighbors in Corinth who don't follow Jesus. Don't view them as you would view them yourself, but as God does. And he unpacks that and gives some description. The way that God views them, the point of view that he's offering them is that he sees them as redeemable, beloved, cared for people. Second, knowing that, having that point of view, not just for your neighbors and people in your community, but having that point of view for yourself, then see yourself as a new creation. The old has passed away, it's this holistic change. You haven't just some, changed some opinions about who God is, you've changed your whole self. Now having that different point of view, you're gonna live a different way. From now on, you are a new creation. And the old, the past is past, and it defines you in some way, but it's not gonna define you in the future. Third is you've been reconciled. Think about, we talked about the kind of a bank statement, like going through a bank statement together is the way we think about our spiritual lives. And we use that same word, reconciled, like you, you see everything and see how it matches. You've been reconciled to God in Christ. That on the balance sheet, like nothing owed, if we want to put it that way, and many Christians have, that, that when you look at the reconciliation, God has said, we're okay. Are we okay? We're okay. And through Jesus, he's done that. And not only that, not only did God and then reconcile you to him, he then entrusted you to do that with others. Now that you've been reconciled in God through Christ, reconcile yourself with your neighbors, knowing that everything was messed up before. Reconcile yourself with the people maybe who have left, who are frustrated. Reconcile yourself with me, Paul, who you didn't think I was giving you good guidance. Reconcile, your, re reconcile yourself with people in Corinth who aren't part of the community, but you have issues with outside of the community. You've been entrusted now with this new ministry. You've been entrusted with a map. You've been entrusted with a, a way of being in the world with others. Um, thinking about driving, I'm thinking about the time, and I only kind of remember it. It was around the time of of finals at my high school, when I finally, I had a car, but then the keys were given to me, and I got to drive to school by myself to take my finals. Um, and uh, some of you I know have done that for your own children. <laughs> You've handed off the keys. And as excited as you present, and as thrilled as you are that you don't have to drive them anymore, I know my parents felt this way, there's that sneaking, sinking, bad feeling 
the what ifs creep in, the anxiety creeps in, the wondering creeps in, but you know, like, I gotta hand it off, I gotta give the keys away. And I kind of sense that in Paul's letter too. And Paul like had this direct encounter with Jesus and he's saying that there's this, this connection then from God in Christ to Paul and the other apostles, now to these communities. And now again, we follow this through, through, through 2000 years all the way to this moment now that the keys have been handed to us. And less so it's God's anxiety. I think God is confident in what he wants to do. It's my anxiety. Like God, you really, you've seen how I act in the world. You wanna entrust reconciliation to me? You wanna entrust me guiding others? Like, I've screwed up an awful lot. And you want me to tell other people the way that they should go? You wanna entrust to me, you wanna hand me the keys to this community, and I've seen the underbelly of it? (laughs) You wanna entrust to me kindness and compassion and justice when I omit it from my life or choose not to practice it or share it? Because it's the harder path and not the easier path, I choose the easier path. God, you wanna entrust that to me? And, And Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians is yes, He's entrusted it to you. When we look at this encouragement, this instruction that that Paul gives the Corinthians, it's not just simply like, you're the experts now, (laughs) you're the navigators, you know what to do next because you've won something or you've achieved something, but it's because now that you've been through this conflict, now that you've been through this kind of punitive experience, now that you've been told you went the wrong way, now you know you can share with others the way you should go. I'm gonna land on this kind of summing that up is to say the best thing that we can do when we explore this idea of what it means to be lovers, to be lovers of God and then and share in love with the world is that the best thing we can do for another is to give a map, is to show a way to go. With the caveat, it's like printing out MapQuest instructions. You know, we used to do that. Maybe you still do that. More power to you, less blue screen time, good for you, wonderful. But you print them out and you, you write on there like, I know this because I wrecked right here. <laughs> I know this is the way that you should go because that exit is closed even though they say it's open. I know this is the way that you should conduct yourself in your marriage because I failed in my marriage. I know this is the way that you should go in in, in conducting yourself with others at work because I got fired from a job because I went the other way. I've been wondering about this personally and trying to like muster up the courage to learn in myself like I need someone to teach me how to be a dad. (laughs) Like uh, I I know which way I shouldn't go and I, I think my parents would be upfront about this that they were learning how to be a parent along the way too. And I, that scares me to death. I almost said something else. Uh, that scares me to death because I'd rather just someone tell me. <laughs> I'd rather just show me the way to go and I know that's not the reality. But the best thing we can do is give a map and say like, you can try this way, but it's not gonna be fun. That's what Paul's saying. And that's what discouraged the Corinthians from following him in the first place. He's like, hey, come this way. There's suffering and persecution. No, thank you, <laughs> you know? But that's what we have to do in the world. We, we invite people to follow Jesus. As we say, this is the hard path. This is the often frustrating path. This is the confusing path. Maybe there's a lot of potholes. There's gonna be some hurt and pain along the way. And I don't want you to come to that, but I know on the other side, there's this future hope. There's this ex- expectation of ultimate reconciliation. That there's a destination that, that we can get to because of what God has done in Jesus. He's entrusting us with the, the, to be traveling companions, to journey with other people, to walk alongside people, not to say, I know the way to go because I went there, no problem. 
but we know the way to go as a community, and maybe you individually know the way to go because you stepped out and you risked and you, and you took the opportunity to drive down this one path and, and, and you messed up. And you could say to somebody else, let's go this way, but I, I, know, I know a shortcut, or I know a back road, or I, I know we have to go through this, and I know it's not gonna be fun, there's traffic, it's hot, it's Houston, but we gotta go this way. Uh, Landon and I have been re-watching uh, Friday Night Lights, Anybody, any fans in the room? Nice, I heard a woo-woo, Carl. You gotta watch it. <laughs> it's time, it's time. It's a great show, wonderful. And uh, I, I was really skeptical at first, like Carl, uh, but I uh, decided I, I was gonna watch it with Landon, and it's a, it's a great, great show. It's about Texas, so it makes you warm toward Texas, and it's not just about football, that's the main thing people are skeptical about. And this is like these interrelationships between all these characters. And uh, Lila Garrity, she's the, the star cheerleader, and then she has some like family stuff happen, and so then she converts to Christianity. And just like all of you, like when you follow Jesus, everything gets better, right? No, it doesn't get better. And then she dated the star quarterback, Jason Street, and this is not a, um, a spoiler. It happens in the first episode, but he has this debilitating injury, and he finds himself in a wheelchair, and so he's not the star quarterback anymore, so he's trying to navigate this new life, and then... Lila's kind of interested in hunky Tim Riggins, who's like the like off-course fullback. Um, and there's this scene. Oh, geez. I have to give a little bit of background. Lila's converted to Christianity, but she's awful. I mean, she's really obnoxious. And she's like putting like pamphlets on people's windshields and stuff. Uh, and uh, so the worst kind. I can say that. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> She goes to Mexico, and she's hanging out with Tim Riggins, and uh, she kisses him, and then <laughs> he's kind of looking at her like longingly, and she goes, I have to go pray. Like, that's the worst. Like, don't do that. If you, it's okay. Like, you don't have to. So there's just some background of who she is, but Jason, her ex-boyfriend who's now in a wheelchair, comes to the church, and he talks to her, and he says, hey, everybody here and Dylan, they go to the same grocery store, and they drive to the same church, and they use the same roads, and every Friday night, they go to the football game. And he's like, but somehow you changed. Somehow you got out. And you can see this glimmer in her eyes. She's like ready to evangelize him. And he like preempts it. He's like, Not, I don't want Jesus. <laughs> I don't want that. But I, but I admire you, that you got out, that you found a way to go. And he's asking her, will you show me the way to go? And I think that's like the most powerful way that we can invite someone onto the journey is we can say like everybody else goes this way and this isn't me to say like oh the culture is like just gone it's, it's horrible it's awful we need to go a different way I'm saying that that there's people longing like they're hurting in their marriages they're hurting in their relationships they're hurting in their work life they're hurting in their personal lives they're hurting in some way or looking for direction looking for some wisdom and if you've been there before and you've messed up or you've made a mistake to have the courage and take the risk to say I know the way to go would you follow me and the, the good news, and I think the, the pinnacle of what James Smith says in his book is that we're journeying to God with God. That we're never alone on the journey. That we're, we're never taking a course that God hasn't gone on before. That we're never walking alone if the church is who the church is supposed to be. We have just so many traveling companions. Ones from the past in Christian history, they're long dead. And us, our challenge now is to be that traveling companion for someone else. And someone comes to us and they say, They're, like, you got out. Everybody else, they take these paths, you got out. What did you do, where did you go? And you can say, well, I made some mistakes, and I learned a few things, and I 
hit some potholes and I got lost and I missed an exit and, and I hurt some people and I was hurt and, and there was some suffering and there was some hardship along the way, but I can travel with you. Not just pointing out a phone and saying, if you go here to here, you'll get there. Make two rights and a left and you'll be there. But to say, I'll, come, I'll, I'll meet you where you are and I'll walk alongside you. James Smith ends the book, um, You Are What You Love, with a quote from this uh, orthodox theologian named Alexander Shimon. Uh, and he says this, the orthodox liturgy, I mean, the, these patterns, begins with the solemn doxology, blessed is the kingdom of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever, and unto ages of ages. From the beginning, the destination is announced, the journey is to the kingdom. This is where we are going. And not symbolically, but really. In the language of the Bible, which is the language of the church, to bless the kingdom is not simply to acclaim it, just to give lip service to it. It is to declare it to be the goal, the end of all our desires and interests of our whole life, the supreme and ultimate value of all that exists. That we're pointing somewhere, we have a destination. To bless is to accept in love and to move toward what is loved and accepted. The church thus is the assembly, the gathering of those to whom the ultimate destination of all life has been revealed and who've accepted it. That's where we're going. This acceptance is expressed in the solemn answer to the doxology. Amen. It is indeed one of the most important words in the world for it expresses the agreement of the church to follow Christ in his ascension to the Father, to make this ascension the destiny of man. It is Christ's gift to us for only in him can we say amen to God. He enables us to agree. Or rather he himself is our amen to God and the church is an amen to Christ. Upon this amen, the fate of the human race is decided. It reveals that the movement toward God has begun. And this is James's words to conclude the book. And so, come to the feast that is worship so that you can go renewed and habituated by the Spirit and say amen in everything you love. Amen. Let us pray. God, we are traveling. Give us eyes for the destination. Help us make wrong turns well. Help us be traveling companions with one another. Help us leave a map, some guidance, some advice, some wisdom to the generation after us, to our children, to our peers, to our colleagues. Help us map the way, help us go before as you went before us. Help us in our neediness, make some mistakes, take some risks, go the wrong way, so that we might be gently and kindly and compassionately and warmly redirected by you. Most of all, in every moment, as we come to this table, as we worship together, as we pray, remind us that as we journey toward you, you journey with us. As we draw closer to you, you draw closer to us. Remind us in every moment of your presence, of your with us life, and help us say amen to it. And so we say, amen.